Welcome to the Sacred Feminine Power podcast, where we explore the many facets of feminine power and why it is so important for, for women and for men to step into this power in our world at this time. This is Emmy from Feminine Revered, and my beautiful guest for today is Dr. Joanna Kujawa. Joanna is the author of The Other Goddess, Mary Magdalene and the Goddesses of Eros and Secret Knowledge. She's also a scholar and spiritual detective. As an active academic for over 20 years, she uses her scholarly training to investigate topics other academics often pass over, such as, can spirituality and sexuality be experienced as one? Who was the real Mary Magdalene? Is there a lineage of goddesses now resurfacing in our collective experience of spirituality? Yummy, yummy topics. Apart from her writings for academic publications on spiritual travel, Joanna has also had her short stories and essays published through various media and in many prestigious anthologies, including Best Australian Stories, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, She Rises. She's also on the editorial board of the International Journal of Goddess Studies. Wow. Welcome, Joanna. Welcome, Amy. Pleasure to be here with you. Oh, it's a blessing to have you with us, and I am so, so very excited to be learning from you today. Now, oh. since, since my podcast is called Sacred Feminine Power, I love to start by asking my guests, what does sacred feminine power mean to you personally? Well, this is a very complex question, but perhaps I will start with a story. You know, when I was a little girl, because I was born in Poland and brought up as a Catholic, I'm not Catholic anymore, but I was brought up as a Catholic. And I had a actually very beautiful exposure to the divine feminine because in all, Pol in all Polish churches, the main deity is actually the Virgin Mary. So I saw these beautiful paintings of Madonna always. But at the same time, I also saw that in the same churches, I saw the image of another woman who was somehow fascinating to me, but who seemed to be almost rejected or somehow deprived. And that was the, or misunderstood. And it was Mary Magdalene. So uh, I kind of uh, experienced as a young woman, this duality of the divine feminine. One was this un un unachievable ideal really of a Virgin Man Mary, and I had a very complex relationship with her simply because I thought that, especially in, in the country I lived then, it was kind of associated with uh, being divine feminine was associated with suffering. Let's put it this way. So yeah. as a young woman, I, I wanted to rebel against it because I thought I, I want to have a full life. I, I want to be a scholar. I want to travel the world. I, I just don't want to pay the, play the role of the, of a suffering, uh, of a suffering mother, so to speak. You know, this kind of divine, self-sacrificial feminine figure. So I was looking at into other archetypes of, uh, divine feminine that perhaps would help me somehow to form my life uh, differently from this image that I thought was superimposed on my uh, cultural upbringing. So for me, the, the search for it was more of a search for divine feminine, which that's why I call it in my book, you know, the other goddess, you know, the one that is uh, full-blooded, that is compassionate, yet it is completely authentic 
that uh, the, there are no va- external values superimposed on her the way I felt being a woman or divine feminine, especially in this particular spiritual culture, uh, suggested. Hmm, beautiful. And I have a feeling we're going to be delving into this in more detail in in just a moment. (laughs) But before we get there, Joanna, would you please share a challenge that you have faced on your path that's really helped you to more deeply activate the sacred feminine power within you? You know, it's it's quite interesting. It's almost like I think that the difficult circumstances and and uh, helped me to connect with my divine feminine and with my own feminine power, so to speak, because I think that my experience from childhood and as growing up as a young woman was that of facing lots of criticism about my body and about my uh, choices in life and the fact that, you know, I, I chose to be quite independent and rebelled against the culture in which I grew up. So I would say that the, ch- that the challenges and the all the attempts of trying to suppress, <laughs> you know, my spirit actually work to my advantage because I developed certain resilience. And at the beginning, it was a very rebellious resilience. But as time, times and years passed, it be, turned into compassion because, uh, uh, you know, I could see, you know, why that some people didn't want me perhaps to develop the way I wanted to develop and, and be more adventurous because they cared for me. So uh, somehow this kind of sense of rebellion uh, turned into compassion uh, in in this process. But I would say that actually difficulties, life difficulties helped me to discover my own divine feminine. And also, can I add another thing? Because for over 20 years, I'm very committed meditator. Mm-hmm. And meditation also very much helped me to develop the feminine part of myself. And uh, I chose because of my adventurous lifestyle, not to be a mother, but through meditation, I developed this other kind of compassionate, almost maternal instinct, but towards nature. So, uh, you know, so I am the woman who basically, uh, I live in a kind of semi-rural environment at the moment, you know, that uh, is trying to protect all the trees, you know, and all the wildlife and so on, you know, crossing the street. I just develop this extreme sensitivity to suffering of uh, other beings, uh, such as you know, natural uh, from the natural world, hmm. and 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 it's also very painful, but also very beautiful connection, you know. And so I have birds coming to me, you know, and and I had so many instances recently, for example, that. Uh, there is this big road passing through the rural area and they are killing, you know, animals and birds, people unintentionally because of, you know, drive cars, you know, passing by quickly and so on. And many times, uh, you know, like recently, for example, I found this beautiful owl that, uh, and and I, I just crossed the street without thinking about it. Why? And then it was just dying and I put my hand on it and say, said a prayer. And I think it was a very kind of gesture of, of, of compassion, but, but it was very natural. You know, it seems like I really connected to the natural world through meditation in a very, in this aspect of the feminine, of the divine feminine, connection and, and compassion towards nature and with nature. Hmm, that's really beautiful. And I can imagine that that's really supporting you on your journey as you do your research and as you write your books about 
the goddesses, the other goddess. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about why you chose to write about the goddesses of Eros. What was the trigger or what, what got you into that? So this is actually the trigger was that I already kind of uh, alluded to was this experience, you know, in the Polish church when I was a little girl and the fascination with Mary Magdalene, which was quite unconscious at that moment. Because later in life, I joined two men on archaeological uh, expedition to Jerusalem. And I saw also a painting of Mary Magdalene in the Eastern Orthodox Church, where she's portrayed in as a more powerful figure with her hand extended and the way I interpreted it, it, that she had some knowledge for humanity. And I later looked into other goddesses to whom I think she had was connected, who had the same role in our civilization or in our consciousness, depends how we treat them. So basically, I started to um, think uh, that, ask myself the question, why was she rejected, you know, and pushed to the side? in my original religion. And I realized that it had to do something with female sexuality and her being portrayed as prostitute. And in this way, female sexuality was kind of rejected and demeaned. And especially when I started to look deeper into this and into Gnostic Gospels, which were discovered in 1945, Mm -hmm. and these are basically Gospels that were written pretty much at the same time as the biblical Gospels, but they were rejected in the fourth century, and miraculously really were rediscovered in 1945, and some of them even earlier, like the Gospel of Mary Magdalene was discovered at the end of the 19th century and so on. When Mary Magdalene is portrayed as a major disciple of Jesus, for example, and sometimes even as his close companion. So I hope it doesn't shock people so much. So I tried to investigate why, you know, she was portrayed as a prostitute. And then I realized that even the Catholic Church in 1969 admitted that it was a scriptural mistake made by a Pope. And actually, there's not even in the canonical Bible evidence that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Mm. So... This took me on this path, you know, if she was, and this is what this other rejected gospels say, that she was the favorite disciple of Jesus. And for example, in the gospel of Mary Magdalene, uh, it is all the disciples that come to her uh, and ask, what did the teacher taught you that he didn't tell us? Mm. Right. And ask her for guidance, what to do when, uh, when they lost him. Right. In this awful moment. And and in this this particular gospel, it is Peter who gets really upset and he says, you know, why do you even ask her this question? She's a woman. What does she know? You know, because it was a very deeply patriarchal society in a very negative way. Right. Mm-hmm. Towards women. So women were not even allowed to be educated. Similarly, in another Gnostic work, which is called Pistis Sophia, it is a basically Q&A session between Jesus and disciples, and there are 42 questions asked, and 39 of them are asked by Mary Magdalene, and they are very deep, esoteric questions. And other disciples again rebel and ask, and and I think it's Peter again, actually, and says, why do you give her any time? She's a woman, you know? And -hmm. and Jesus says, uh, uh, let her be, Peter, because she's imbued with, with the Spirit. So this kind of took me on this journey to look into goddesses of Eros and look into whether other goddesses and also historical women were portrayed as prostitutes unfairly, first of all, right? Simply because they long to be educated, especially in a spiritual manner. 
but also to the fact that female sexuality was always demeaned. So that sexual woman had to be either completely pure, the way Virgin Mary is, which is unachievable for anyone to be a mother and to be sexually pure at the same time, right? Untouched forever. And, 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 and a woman who was most likely the favorite and most advanced disciple of Jesus was portrayed a prostitute. And then there, for example, in another gospel, Gnostic gospel, the gospel of Philip, it says that she was, Jesus is going on in, in, in Greek, which basically means his companion or even his partner. So I started to believe that, that perhaps there was a, orchestrated effort to demean her as a prostitute because perhaps she had some kind of tender relationship with Jesus. And in those times, a woman, you know, sh should not, you know, there should not be this, this kind of a relationship, as, especially a woman sh should not be openly uh, having a relationship with someone. And that's why maybe this, this name of, of, of prostitute, and it's quite interesting because if you study Mary Magdalene, she's never called a daughter of anyone or a wife of anyone. So perhaps she was also an independent woman, which would add, you know, this kind of scandalous perhaps for the patriarchal society element to her. And that's why she was demeaned as prostitute. However, I would like to remind uh, you know, people who are here with us that she was not con uh, considered a prostitute until the sixth century when a, a pope mm -hmm. actually made a scriptural mistake. So for the first six centuries, nobody thought that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. And I would go as far as to say that it probably wasn't even a mistake, that it was a very... <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm just trying to be kind here, yeah. Because, There's no you know, need to be kind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, because I, I always say, isn't it curious, right, that they made this mistake, right? That, that, and, and they continue to make this kind of mistake. So when I started to look into other goddesses, and there's a beautiful lineage of goddesses that they share a similar symbolism with Mary Magdalene, that there is some sexual connotation, you know, there, but also that they were always there at the time of resurrection, or perhaps sometimes they were resurrectresses, like, for example, Isis, you know, she resurrected her own husband, even if just for a moment to conceive mm -hmm. a child with him through our history, and that they were all always associated with either sexual alchemy or higher magic. Higher magic is different from lower magic when people pay just play with lower elements, natural elements, but higher magic is basically what they say, you have an insight into God's mind. So it means you play with original ideas of creation. And I look through different traditions, including Hindu traditions, and there are many goddesses like that, you know, that they did it. But also another that, that, you know, are very similar to Mary Magdalene. So in a way, I think this is this kind of archetype that resurfaces in our consciousness, whether it is a lineage or it's just some kind of showing a lack in our consciousness, you know, that we need place for something like that. And then I looked also at modern, you know, representation of, uh, of women. And I noticed, you know, that again, sexuality generally, okay, so we, men always had more sexual freedom than women, right? That's given. But men were also not taught how to uh, respect sexuality, their own or, or women's sexuality. So when you look at the portrayals of sexuality in Hollywood movies and so on, it is really, uh, you know, it is at its lowest level. Right, it is always at its, its lowest level. So I started to look into traditions, you know, when when female body and female sexuality and and, and goddesses that represented that were revered. 
because I think we all suffer as women, but also as society from from this. Uh, men suffer from the fear of a deeply sexual woman, for example. And in my mm. conversations, in my interviews for this book, you know, they admit to this that it's a scary thing. Right. Mm. And I think that in patriarchal society, for them, in patriarchal society, they try to frame women into only one paradigm. And although it is their beautiful paradigm, that of a mother, that's not the only way to be. And it's not even possible for everyone to be that. Mm. Right. So, but it was also that way of controlling something that deeply scares them. You mm-hmm. know, the power of, of female sexuality. So I started to look into Tantra in Hinduism, but in a pure esoteric Tantra, not at how it is portrayed in the West at the moment. And I started for a year and a half with, you know, Sanskrit scholars, you know, just one chapter of this one particular work, you know, Tantra Loka Kula Ritual, chapter 29. And there, you know, uh, there's this beautiful ritual when man treats uh, his sexual partner as uh, as the expression of the divine feminine, as the expression of the creatrix. And in my book, I even paraphrase this prayer because at the end of lovemaking, he puts a hand on, on, on his lover's uh, body and says, I worship you as the divine feminine. I worship you as a goddess, as the creati- creatrix of everything that was ever born and will ever be born. And very beautiful. You know, and mm-hmm. they actually use this ritual not only for more conscious uh, lovemaking. In fact, it was not intended like that at all, but rather for the expansion of human consciousness because they said that you can expand your consciousness through proper use of your sexual energy. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. And I, I personally had experience like that too, so I can testify to that. But I thought... If there is a great power in uh, eros, especially in feminine eros, and for some reason, some people say it's used for dark rituals, and perhaps it is. So I wanted to bring some light into it and to say, you know, we can use it actually for good, for expansion of our consciousness, for expansion of our spirit, and that eros properly approached is not separate from spirit. It is just another expression of spirit. In, and sexuality is part of our eros. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you 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 are expressing it so beautifully and eloqu- eloquently, um, Joanna. It's it's lovely just to listen to you share your wisdom. Um, and I also just wanted to make a note. Uh, you, you were talking about Virgin Mary or Mother Mary earlier, but also to the mm-hmm. origin of the word virgin, which actually doesn't refer to sexual purity per se, but refers to mm. a woman being sovereign, a woman under her own which also, you know, the Mary lineages uh, indicate that uh, these were highly advanced, um, spiritually advanced and um, trained priestesses, alchemists, who were able to work with these esoteric energies in in such sublime, incredible, magical ways, isn't it? That's That's correct. Yet, however, they were both framed into impossible situations, right? right. And and from them, us, like other women that came, right? So because one was framed as a sexually pure, you know, just, you know, in in a kind of strength, right? And the other one is prostitute and both uh, things are completely untrue. But also when I was observing my own relationships with men, I noticed for example, that they too, especially young men, but not only, they have this kind of polarity in their minds, you know, like between a harlot and a mother, mm. you know, 
And I, I and I also have a friend who 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 tells me that you know once she became a mother, for example, her husband basically lost sexual interest in her as well because she became mm-hmm. the mother figure like his mother, right? right. So it, this kind of uh, polarity, or when there is this other woman, you know, who is desirable, but you know she's more like an adventure or, but not a <clears throat> mother material. Mm-hmm. So we are put into these boxes which is completely ridiculous. And also both women and men suffer from this because it's very difficult to have a meaningful relationship in this kind of polarity and limitation at the same time. Yeah, it's very, very true. Yeah, very true. And I think it would be really healthy for everyone to reflect on their own relationships through that lens and really gain a deeper understanding of of the kind of dynamics and forces and unconscious ideas that might be driving that relationship as well mm. that's that's really beautiful um jo- uh, joanna since you've done so much research into mary magdalene and her life i would really love to hear what happened to her what truly happened to her after mm. the crucifixion of jesus and where did she go so you know uh, there are two theories uh, one is my own <laughs> and one is the popular theory so can i cover both of them Yes, please. So in my research, I came because uh, in my research, I came uh, to this conclusion that the very likely place that she would at least at the beginning go after the crucifixion would be Alexandria in Egypt, because Alexandria was the intellectual and spiritual center of the world at the time. And there was also a famous library of Alexandria there, which basically store all books and papyri, you know, from around the world. And it was like a storage of human knowledge and human wisdom. Mm-hmm. And in my research, I noticed, and also I am relying on other scholars' research, so uh, I want to give credit to people, you know, who actually do this research as well. I know uh, I, I have learned through the research that there was... Uh, this group called uh, Therapeta in uh, in ancient Alexandria that invited women who were spiritual teachers, but also women philosophers into their circles because it was very advanced society, Alexandria at the time, mm-hmm. which was not allowed anywhere else. And that this society had a, a contact with uh, uh, several uh, groups, you know, uh, in, in, in the Holy Land. And one of them was the Essenes. And some people believe that uh, Jesus, you know, had close contact with the Essenes and therefore Mary Magdalene, because we don't know that much about her at that time. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought, what is there a possibility that actually she went to Alexandria because there she would have been accepted, right? Because mm-hmm. she, after resurrection, all the disciples were persecuted and it would not be wise for her to stay in the Holy Land. And we don't hear anything about her after that. So I thought, okay, that would be a good link, you know, because they were in contact with the Essenes who were in the Holy Land. And then, you know, there was this group of uh, philosophers and uh, spiritual teachers who were also connected to the Temple of Isis who were consider- and were called the healers, may I add. Mm-hmm. And in some sources, esoteric sources, uh, Mary Magdalene is, uh, was also trained in this way and some also Catholic esoteric sources, it is mentioned that her father was an Egyptian who was coming from some esoteric tradition. Mm, okay. So that she was not pure pure blood, so to speak, right? From the patriarchal point of view. And mm-hmm. that's why, for example, some disciples are, are or that's why perhaps she was called a sinner in an Orthodox society because she was not a pure blood. You know, she was half Egyptian, half Jewish, right? Right. So there are many reasons for her to go to Alexandria. 
So then I started to search, you know, was there a woman in Alex ancient Alexandria who could fit perhaps her description? And it's a little bit of a guessing game, of course, because as you know, we very often, especially in feminist studies, have to depend on oral traditions and other people's sayings because lots of sources were either, you know, destroyed or mm -hmm. were just dead silence, you know, about these yeah. women, right? So I found, uh, you know, through the uh, through my research and also went, you know, uh, check the resources in the National uh, Library of Israel, you know, that there was a woman in the first century, Alexandria, who was called Mary the Jewess or Mary the Prophetess or Mary the Alchemist. Oh, wow. Alchemist. And that uh, she, prophetess, because she was very highly developed, some spiritual teacher alchemist because she was a spiritual alchemist which means she was not interested in transforming uh, uh, base metals into gold you know this is mm -hmm. what regular alchemists do but rather through she was interested in spiritual alchemy so basically what we would call nowadays uh, ascension or, or spiritual evolution mm -hmm. and and Mary the Jewish because uh, she was at least partially Jewish so I thought this this is really interesting, and I found the source, a famous uh, third century alchemist from Egypt, Zosimus, who lived in Akmin, you know, said that she she, she was the, the highest uh, spiritual alchemist, this Mary the Jewess, Mary the Prophetess, or Mary the Alchemist, because she went by three different, you know, names. And the reason why it's important that he was in Akmin, Zosimus, who lived two centuries after her, it is because the Gospel of Mary Magdalene was found also in Akmin. Mm. So I oh, think wow. it's an interesting connection, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, some people say, you know, kind of hardcore academics who say it's uh, anecdotal evidence. I said, but I, oh, this is all we have, you know, mm. because all the sources were uh, were basically removed right about about that so that's my i i make this proposition i'm not arguing that it is mary magdalene but i'm making this proposition really in my book that she was uh, mary the alchemist you know that she after the resurrection she went to alexandria and there are very good reasons why she would go there i'm basing also on research on john e taylor who is a you know uh, who actually did also very solid research <clears throat> about the therapeutic and I did the rest of the research on Mary Magdalene as the as the the particular woman that actually lived in in Alexandria at the time and was a, possibly a part of this group. Now, uh, so that's my version of the story. The popular version nowadays is that after the resurrection, but fifteen years after, so it would give her even if it's true, it would give her fifteen years in Alexandria. She went to France. Mm -hmm. So this is a popular version in southern France. And uh, there are some claims about it, that she went to southern France. And uh, however, the description, which comes from so-called the Golden Legend, which was written in, the, I think, believe in 12th, or 12th century, I believe, by a Dominican. Also, it's quite interesting because he portrays her as a highly educated woman. There is no mention of prostitution or anything, but highly educated woman coming from a really wealthy household. Mm -hmm. And then when she landed in near Marseille in southern France, she actually astounded people with her uh, with her eloquence and her teachings. Mm. Mm. So, and according to this story, she went with some other people that are well known from the Bible, such as Lazarus and and uh, some other people, a uh, few older uh, 
to all the women and, and who were sisters and so on. And uh, according to this story, she she uh, she didn't want to create any church and or anything like that. She left other people to take care of it. And she went to a cave in southern France, which is now considered a, a pilgrimage um, place where she meditated uh, for 30 years until and um, until she died and at the end of her life she was discovered apparently for some this is what the legend says uh, but by a hermit who was instructed you know in a vision to go over and to find this holy woman and so on so there's a long-standing tradition in france of many pilgrimages because people believe in, including the catholics that you know she actually spent the last 30 years of her life in there however even if it is true there is this gap of 15 years because they said 15 years after the resurrection, she went to France. So I said, what happened in between? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Resonates very, very strongly. So thank you for sharing that. So My such, such fasc- fascinating, so fascinating. Yeah, I find her completely fascinating. And I didn't intend on this journey. When you say, what took you on this journey towards divine feminine? I, I it, it was not a resolution. I was just drawn to it actually through Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And, and there's one more thing that I'm really, really curious about. Um, I've just started reading your book, but I know that um, towards the end of the book, it could even be the last chapter, um, the, the goddess and the machine, right? Yes. Can, can yes. you talk a little bit about that? Why did you call the, the chapter that? And how does it reflect our times? Yes, because, you know, I had this kind of moment, in, in, enlightening moment once when I was in Melbourne on a, on a going to work on a tram. And suddenly, you know, I felt that like a, I would call it the matrix moment when I was actually pulled away almost like from from reality. And I noticed how we all follow, how we are all inculturated, how we mechanically follow everything that we are being told, you know, by by everyone, right? From the beginning, by parents, by the government. And we go through this daily routines. And I saw us almost in a kind of machine-like way, mm. including myself, because I was on this tram too, except that I saw myself like from behind, so to speak, right? Doing this completely unconsciously, following these rules and 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 just being basically almost like half asleep, you know, completely not conscious. And and this uh, it came to me, you know, that we have to wake up from it, wake up from this. And this is what I call goddess consciousness, that we have to perceive the world in a more natural and holistic way. That we we have to wake up from this mechanistic way of life. And not only this, you know, at the moment we are going more and more towards the basically uh, artificial intelligence and connection of uh, human beings of artificial co- uh, intelligence. So I think that we really have to move move away from this and move towards goddess consciousness, which is A, more holistic, but also I think uses completely different part of our brains. And I think that until nowadays, this, this particular form of intelligence that we live at the moment, which is very masculine form of intelligence that creates technology, that creates artificial uh, um 
intelligence and so on and creates all of these rules is already very well developed. But somehow, and that's why I wrote the book about, you know, the other goddess and secret knowledge and errors, somehow on the way we lost this other form of intelligence, which is more heart connected, which is more holistic, which doesn't make a distinction between sexuality and spirit because they are one. It is just how we perceive this, all of this, you know, which is not so dualistic and that the world nowadays needs this kind of form of consciousness more than ever, because I honestly believe that we are going in a very wrong direction. Mm, no, I completely agree As with a you. civilization. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think the last two and a half years or so have really, really shown that I, to us at yes, a very absolutely. deep level. Mm. I, I agree. But on the other hand, it was very good because I think it opened our eyes because it was so apparent. Yeah. It doesn't matter in which way he wanted to look at it, you know. It was just, at the very least, extremely strange, right? <laughs> That's a good way <laughs> of putting it, extremely strange. And, and I notice I even, you know, on social media, people who are very conservative otherwise and not maybe that way decline, uh, inclined, you know, to to comment on social realities, they said, welcome to news... Um, high strangeness because this is how it feels to people you know and i think we continue with this high strangeness and this high strangeness can be and people think oh you know they 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 try to fight it this way or that way and i and i say this is not about fighting this is about developing this other and uh, linking in into this other form of consciousness because we basically have to expand our lens of perception and we basically think with half of our brain at the moment yeah, so very true. So, so, and we have to bring this other half, and then only ascension is possible. But only then, even creating, you know, a paradise on earth is possible. Maybe we don't even have to ascend. Perhaps we just, as in Gospel of Thomas, you know, the Gnostic Gospel, it says, cleanse of your lenses of perception. Those who can see, let them see. Those who have ears, let them hear, right? So it's all about mm-hmm. our perception. It's not about going to another place. It's not about going to Mars, you know, it is about opening our lenses of perception so we can see what is actually available for us here. But we cannot do it with this one form, a very masculine mind. Mm, So very true. Thank you for for sharing your wisdom around that as well, Joanna. And I just 100% resonate with everything that you're saying. And I I truly hope that um, your, your book becomes very very widely distributed and very widely read and people really get the wisdom from the words that you you share at a deep deep level thank you so much thank you so much Amy. it was such a great pleasure talking to you oh absolutely and joanna before you go would you please just share with our listeners uh, how they can find find out more about you and also how to find the book oh thank you so i think the best way to find the book is actually on amazon Amazon.com, but it's also available on Book Depository and so on. But I think Amazon is probably the best place to find the book. I also have a Facebook page, a public Facebook page, which is called Dr. Joanna Kuyava. And, and I have a YouTube channel as well. But I think the best way probably of connecting with me is through the book, The Other Goddess, Mary Magdalene and the Goddesses of Errors and Secret Knowledge, simply because I, in this book, for a first time in perhaps in my life, I decided to be completely authentic, mm. you know? So uh, it was my way 
of uh, just telling my truth, you know, not worrying what my academic colleagues think, not worrying what anybody thinks, you know, my literary colleagues think just, it's just, I, I bared my body and soul in this book. So this, this is like uh, the the deepest connection that I can have with someone (laughs) through Mm. a book. Beautiful. Well, thank you for doing that. I really appreciate you and your life's work and everything that you're sharing with the world. And and you are also gifting our listeners a chapter from the book, isn't it? Yes, there's a chapter uh, from the book and also uh, uh, a, a link to a blog which uh, gives a, another partial chapter from the book. So the chapter from the book is uh, uh, the first chapter and, and there's a fragment several pages of uh, part uh, two of the book as well oh wonderful thank you thank you so much for that joanna it's been wonderful to chat with you i i really appreciate you thank you thank you thank you so much amy Mm. now everybody just for a moment let's focus our awareness on this beautiful uplifting energy that's been activated during this interview and imagine sending this energy to everybody and everything on our planet to remember that we are all truly one and that the more of us have the courage to step into our sacred feminine power, the more quickly our planet will also heal and the more quickly she will ascend. Thank you for listening.